you're entering a place where, um, as one of my favorite Imagineers, Joe uh, Rohde, has said, like, your entire life is chaos, like, on a daily basis, whether or not, whether it's good or bad. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, your job is chaos, your personal life is chaos, your relationships are chaos. And chaos in the way of, like, you don't know what's going to happen. You have very little control. Um, when you go to Disneyland, you go to a place where everything has been laid out for you. As Joe would say, you're going to a place where you are swimming upstream as opposed to swimming against the stream. So, like, you go to a place like Disneyland, everything is, like, on a platter, and you're able to sort of, like, have a better understanding of how you're going about the day, how you're going about your life. At least that's, like, my theory. Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., Historic Core Edition. Today, we talk with Todd Martins. Todd is a critic of the L.A. Times. <laughs> He's a critic at the L.A. Times, focusing on play. You'll read him writing about video game reviews, as well as insights about Disneyland and other theme parks. We met while he was the music writer for one of our many music blogs at the Times. Todd lives in downtown LA's historic core with his cat's leader when he's not visiting the happiest place on earth 30 times a year. We recorded this on Christmas Day a few weeks ago, a day off for most, but not for this humble podcast or an annoying squirrel who tried to interfere in this very important conversation. So let's get out of the way and welcome Mr. Todd Martins. Hello, everybody. We are here in a beautifully warm courtyard in winter in Los Angeles with Todd Martins. Hello, Todd. Hey, Tony. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Okay, so Todd, we know each other from the Los Angeles Times, and you live in downtown L.A. I assume, well, first of all, what, what part of downtown do you live in? Um, I live in the part that is the, uh, I guess it is called the Historic Core. Mm -hmm. I moved down there originally in about 2011, 2012 to be close to work. I work at the Los Angeles Times. Um, so I live pretty close to the last bookstore, that sort of area, if you're familiar with that neighborhood. Do you go in that bookstore? You know, it's one of those things where it's like when I lived in Hollywood, I lived a block from the Egyptian and I rarely went to the Egyptian. I've gone to the Egyptian a number of times since I've moved. Um, I go into the last bookstore maybe once every three or four months. Books are passe, right? You're over them. No, books are not passe. <laughs> um, they're for just, grandpas. They're, they're for holding open windows when it's windy. No, they are not for any of those things. Um, <laughs> I am guilty of using my Amazon Prime is what I'm, is what I'm <laughs> trying to... You know you to. have like one of the best bookstores next door to you. Well, you know what? It's really funny because like I wanted to read... Um, the, uh, the video game inspired book. Um, because you are the video game critic at the LA Times. Well, yeah, I'm forgetting the name of it at the moment, but I went to the last bookstore and it was so popular, it was sold out and I had to order it from Amazon. Is this the one that they made the movie about? No, this was a recent, a recent book. Um, um, I, could, I could look well, it up. We'll edit it in. Don't, don't worry. No, no, I have to look it up. Okay, why don't you look it up? Todd is wearing a, a green flannel Mickey Mouse Christmas shirt because this is the, the holidays. He's got, it looks like some black uh, Doc Martens on. They're not Doc Martens, but uh, the book is uh, 
Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, um, which I haven't read yet, but I was really excited to read. And um, the last bookstore was sold out of it, so I ended up buying it on Amazon. Don't you consider that a lazy uh, title? No, I don't. Ripping off Shakespeare isn't lazy? I couldn't even remember the title off the top of my head, so um, (laughs) how is it lazy? And um, I don't think ripping off Shakespeare is lazy. I think it's a a nice nod to uh, history. Hmm. Okay. So, as you can tell, Todd is from the Midwest. What you're hearing is Midwest nice. Uh, Katie Bain uh, expressed this very well in our... uh, the Hollywood, one of the Hollywood uh, episodes. Todd, did you grow up in the city proper in Chicago? Um, no. Uh, so thank you for clarifying. I grew up in a suburb called uh, Glendale Heights. Oh. Which is the home of Billy Corgan. Is it really? Um, it is. We went to the same uh, high school. He lived uh, a few blocks from me. Um, not when I was there. Obviously, when I was there, he was, the Smashing Pumpkins were blowing up. But um mm. Um, yeah, so so, uh, so he's a little older than you. He's a little older than me, and when I, I did live in the city when I went to graduate school, and I lived in a neighborhood called Andersonville. You uh, you went to Northwestern, correct, for grad school. Where'd you go to undergrad? Uh, University of Southern California. You went back to Illinois. Um, one of the main reasons I went back to Illinois was, um, or as one of my favorite David Letterman jokes, um, Illinois, as Indiana people say it. <laughs> Um, one of the reasons I went back to Illinois was um, I wanted to move back to Chicago. Um, and You had had enough of L.A. You, did you do four years in, in uh, uh, SC? I did four years at USC and then um, graduated college, went, worked at Billboard for a number of years. Um, so wait, you had a job in L.A.? A good job. I, was, I wasn't making any money. Um, yeah, but Billboard. That's why you go to school, right? That's why I went to school, and yeah, and I was I was paid very low salary, and um, I after working there a number of years, I decided I wanted to go back to Chicago and live in the Midwest and go to Cubs games and um, be amongst. Um, to this day, the majority of my closest friends are in Chicago, so like I felt I should go back. Hmm. Um, I was back for about a year, and I got a job back in LA, so I came back out here. Uh, at SC, you went to Annenberg for journalism. That is correct. And then you went to uh, Northwestern for master's in journalism. Uh, master's in uh, publishing, I believe. was Publishing? The I wanted to learn a little bit of the business side of journalism. I thought that would set me up for uh, a more successful future. Well, you ended up at the LA Times, not too shabby. Uh, thank you, yeah. And you've been there for 135 years now. Uh, 137, mm. actually. But... Um, 15, 15 years. A lot of people think that J School is not worth it. Do you consider publishing at Northwestern J School? Um, that program was an amazing program. It was a magazine publishing program. And it's a program that it's, it's a nine-month program. And you and a very small team, uh, I don't know the exact number. I think our class was 15 people make a magazine together. So you're very intimate with everybody in your class. You make a magazine together. You're doing a ton of collaboration. Um, I would say overall, J School is uh, worth it. I mean, I think... Um, there was stuff that you learned in that nine months that you didn't learn in four years at SC? There was stuff I learned in that nine months that I didn't learn in four years at SC, but there was nothing I learned in those nine months that I didn't learn in four or five years at Billboard. Right. 
And and that's why that's why a lot of actual journalists like yourself, when young people say, "Should I go to J school?" They say, "No, just work." Well, that was why I did leave the program because um, I realized a few months into the program that um, everything I was learning in the program was stuff I was doing on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, all that being said, if I hadn't done the program at USC, I would have never have had that job. And I don't think somebody needs to go to a private school like USC. Um, but I do think some sort of background, some sort of training in journalism is, is important. Yeah. Okay. So we met at uh, the LA Times where you were on the digital side. This is when the paper still had kind of a newspaper side and a digital side. And you were on the digital side, and you uh, had your own blog, your own music blog, called Pop and Hiss. Well, no. So I'll correct you. It wasn't you. Todd Martin's Pop and Hiss? I'll correct you. Uh, Pop and Hiss was the LA Times music blog. That was all <laughs> the LA Times writers. Like who? Um, um, so I co-edited that blog with um, the lovely and wonderful and super talented writer, editor, Margaret Wappler. Yes. Um, Shout out, Margaret. I did have my own blog, though. That was called Extended Play. Oh, that's right. And that was on the envelope. I I screwed up Extended Play. Because I folded in... Because there was like four music blogs at the LA Times. I think there was uh, Extended Play. Um, we hadn't launched Pop and Hiss yet, but there was a Soundboard. Soundboard. Um, and then uh, Kevin Bronson. Buzz uh, Bands. Who does a terrific job at Buzz Bands, had a blog, Buzz mm-hmm. Bands. Uh, and um, was there another one? Yeah, I think Long Play. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's too many There's too many blogs. And, and the reason that I say there's too many is I just, my belief was we shouldn't make readers guess or try to work at where the music blogging is happening. So just put it in one place. Sure. Yeah, you say sure, but a lot of people hated me for that. Um, I think I probably, at the time, hated you for it. Yeah, too bad. Um, Extended Play was doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were all doing well, because they all had their own niche. Uh, I'm well, going to brag for a second and say um, Extended Play was doing better than Well, okay, first of all, it's easier, if you're, if you're just doing local music, so... First of all, shout out to Kevin. I wasn't doing local music. I was but what doing, I'm saying is, yeah. is there's no way that local music is going to compete hits-wise to national music. No, not at all. Right. And so, so when I look at things, I look at how many posts are being written. Are they good? Once, once we trick people into getting there, are they rewarded? Well, I would say um, at the time, Extended Play, uh, that was the blog that I worked on. <laughs> Um, Shay Crabtree was the editor. Um, she was? Yeah, she was great. Um, huh. And uh, it was a very controversial blog, you know, like it, as proud as I am of that content. And that content doesn't exist anymore. It's deleted. Isn't that sad? Because um, it wasn't put in the print edition because um, I was viewed as not part of the music staff. <laughs> and... Once we left uh, the blog server we were on, it just was deleted. Yeah. Um, Which is why you need blog editors. But it was... Because uh, yeah, I would have protected that from being deleted. I mean, it was it was housed in the envelope. So the idea was if something could be construed as Grammy-related, I should write about it. Right. Um, which therefore offended 
at the time offended the longtime staff of the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. Because I was writing about stuff that they were also writing about, but I was getting much, I was getting significantly more traffic. Right. Okay. So, uh, but I fixed all that. I brought everybody together. We had one big blog, pop and hiss. Eventually people loved me, kissed me, and then showed me away. But um, you remained, Todd Martins. You kept writing. You wrote and wrote and wrote. Even after the blogs were gone, you were writing regularly for music. Then eventually you were the beer critic. I very briefly was a beer person. Um, but I did write, yeah, I did write significantly. Um, I, Margaret and I co-edited Pop and Hiss for a number of years, and I'm really proud of what the two of us did with Pop and Hiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that was a really nice blog mm-hmm. um, when I look back on it. And um, of course it was, you know, like I certainly missed having my own blog, but I would say like being a part of the music staff, like um, once I was part of pop and hiss, once it was clear that I wasn't going anywhere and that they couldn't just easily get rid of me. Um, I started to get along much better with the staff and yeah. I started to get along much better with uh, the calendar writers and I consider a number of them my friends, and I do miss Poppinus uh, mm-hmm. greatly. But um, yeah. Well, also it's 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 hard not to like you, Todd, because you, just like what you, what the the people are hearing, you're an even keeled gentleman. You're a sober character. You're you 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 play it straight. You're a real journalist. You're the reason that I was afraid that I'd never get hired at the LA Times, because the way that you write is just very clear and standard and no phony baloney no no nonsense going on and, um, and i appreciate that because i feel like i don't use big enough words or big enough metaphors you use a little bit more than you need to just a little it's like when i go to uh, a really good thai place it's a little too spicy for me and i think that the average reader shouldn't have to learn new words when when they're Hearing about a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's concert. Um, so my favorite writer, I grew up in Chicago as we established, or outside of Chicago, but my favorite writer growing up was uh, Greg Cott. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say the thing that Greg instilled in me, I emailed Greg when I was like 15. And the thing <laughs> Greg instilled in me, um, and he was kind enough to meet me for coffee. And Really? As a kid, yeah. I went down to Chicago, had coffee with him, and and today I consider him one of my closest friends, but... I think one of the reasons I gravitated toward Greg over other music writers, um, in part because of Chicago pride, as, as you know, people from the Midwest are very proud of being from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are other writers from the Midwest and there are other writers from that area. I'm also friends with Jim Deere goddess. I don't want to like, um, but, um, Greg does this thing where it's like, whether if Greg writes a review, whether Greg loves the record or hates the record, you will know if you want to listen to the record, mm-hmm. you know, and that was something I always wanted to try to do. So that was something that I always um, tried to keep it very like plain spoken, tried to keep it very, um, I don't mean plain spoken in a bad way. I mean, plain spoken mm-hmm. in like an accessible sort of approachable way. Yeah. I, I remember being a freshman in high school and um, for some reason we didn't have a newspaper subscription in our house and our high school had Sun Times, Trib, and Daily Herald right on these like cool little 
long poles, so you couldn't run off with them. And I would spend all of my study hall just reading all three newspapers. And the guy that really did it for me was Mike Royko. And I think I, I still think about him all the time. And I was like, somehow that guy spoke to a 14-year-old kid <laughs> who was doing bad in school. And he did it in, in just a, a just a, a kind of a guy next door tone. He wasn't speaking down to me. And yet he was talking about sh- inside Chicago politics and sports and just life in the big city. You know, and and I was like he he's not trying to dazzle me with his vocabulary or who he knows or whatever. Like most of his settings were at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> the Billy Goat probably. Uh yeah, with a sh- uh, sh- what is it? Slobs Grobnik or whatever is his as his uh fake buddy. And um so anyhow, I pr- I that's kind of the style that I I like to have, but I remember you edited something of mine and it was so good that I felt ashamed to even have my name on it cuz it was just so much better. It was it was like uh, one of those Disney movies where they take a, a tomboy girl and turn her into a princess. Todd, you turned me into a, a princess. Uh, well, um, I won't address the uh, potential uh, offensiveness of that metaphor. But um, who's offended? Um, no, but I will just sort of say um, no. I mean, thank you. That's a really kind word. But I always was very insecure of my editing. Ability. You were. Um, I think I was. I didn't articulate. I, I was music editor for a couple of years at the Los Angeles Times, mm-hmm. and I don't think I articulated this well enough to uh, my staff. In fact, I can tell you, I did not articulate this well enough to my staff. But like when I edit, I tend to. Um, it's easier for me to sort of say like I want to see it like this mm-hmm. than it is for me to say like this isn't working for me. This whatever. Yeah. Um, so some people got that. Some people didn't. Some people were like, "You're just rewriting me." And um, if I was in edit place in an editor position today, I would drastically change how I would approach that. Um, but at the time, at the time, I just did just rewrite. So, like, I appreciate you thinking it was for the better. Yeah, dude. Um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think that's what an editor should do. And I think that's what I did. And I think I failed at it. Well, you're wrong. First of all, you made me prettier, which is the which I think is the job of the editor. And when I write my, my stories of, of being an Uber driver, you're going to be my editor. Um, I would love to be your editor. I think that's a great book. And oh, fantastic. I, Thank you. I think you should publish that ASAP. Um, I, do, I, do, I do want to do it very soon. It's a really good idea. And, Thank you. Um, you know, I feel bad when I, like, text you, like, Uber or rideshare Lyft questions. But, like, I don't do it because... I do it in part because, like, you understand that world so well. and um, never feel bad. I think you should write that book. Should I feel bad when I ask you Disney questions? No. Um, no. I want those Disney questions. You're the expert. And we'll get to Disney in a second. But you're the expert of that. I'm the expert of this. Okay. So should let, let's, let's finish up real quick with uh, a couple things about journalism. Yeah. This, um, this idea about editing other people... Should should that be taught in journalism school? How do you do it? That's a really good question. I think um, the reason there are so many bad editors in journalism is, and this is not a new idea. This is you could see it when you work at any publication in the field. It's like if you have success as a writer, you're then promoted outside of your job as a writer. 
Right. Um, you know, and those are two different skills. You can be an amazing writer and a terrible editor. You can be an amazing editor and a terrible writer. Mm-hmm. Um, they're two completely different skills. Um, should editing be taught in journalism school? Um, sure. Why not? Why don't we spend a little bit more time on having people critically think about stories rather than writing stories? Yeah. Well, I, I say make them really like, like, it should be its own class. Like it should be a couple of classes. If if I if I get a, a master's in journalism, for sure I'm on the track to be an editor at some point. Don't you think? Yes, I would say. Um... So therefore, teach the kids what what the different philosophies are, because some is is hands on, some is the light editing. I mean, there's guys like Steve Padilla who are fantastic editors, One and of the best. and and I feel like. Guys like him and positions like his are a dying breed. I think so, too. I think, you know, I think I was uh, lucky at the L.A. Times because I became an editor and I did want to become an editor. And I realized it was not what I was good at. I realized I was not good at managing people. Hmm. And I went back to writing and um, I had that the ability to do that. Um, but yeah, I think my strength is uh, writing. My strength is in managing. quiet day and there's one squirrel who's uh, playing with his nuts um, you know what it's Christmas let the squirrel do what it wants to do okay so there's some f- there's a photo that I love of yours it's you with Johnny Rotten okay in this fancy journalism schools of yours I mean SC and Northwestern those are like two of the best right two of the best like top five would be like Columbia in New York Columbia, Missouri, also. And, of course, UC Santa Barbara. And then SC and Northwestern, right? Absolutely. Who else would you add on that list? Uh, I, <laughs> NYU, maybe? No, uh, NYU is where I wanted to go to school, so I would definitely add NYU. I was rejected by NYU. <laughs> I applied to two schools, NYU and USC, and USC accepted me, NYU rejected me. Okay. This is winter, and I should be wearing shorts right now. This didn't woo you? This didn't blow your mind when you moved here as a teenager? Um, growing up near Chicago, I, wanted to, I knew I didn't want to be in a smaller city, so that gave me two options. <laughs> um, right. And I was more taken with uh, the urban environment of New York, which wow. is probably why I live downtown. So the weather doesn't, doesn't sway you? No, I, I keep my apartment at like 68, 69 degrees. <laughs> Okay, so there's this great picture of you with Johnny Rotten. If I was teaching a journalism class, I would teach how do you interview a guy like uh, Prince, a guy like Johnny Rotten, and, um, and maybe a guy like Frank Black, because that was the hardest interview I had to do out of college, because he just did not want to talk. 
I think Nick Cave would probably be the hardest interview. Oh, he was. He's been your hardest interview so I far. Have actually, I haven't actually interviewed Nick Cave, but um, that's that's there, how hard he is. He won't even talk to you. There is an amazing episode of Sound Opinions with Greg Codd and Jim Neergottis <laughs> where they interview Nick Cave, and every journalism aspiring music journalist should listen to it because uh, Nick was so difficult. It was incredibly difficult, and I think Greg and Jim handled it uh, as best they could. But they also started making fun of it. Um, uh huh. You know, and was it along the lines of the Billy Bob Thornton uh, interview in Canada where he asked, "You wouldn't ask Tom Petty that question." Do you remember <laughs> that one at all? I don't remember that one, to be honest. I, I subscribed to a magazine called um, "Famous Monsters of Filmland," which uh, the publisher was a guy named Forrest J. Ackerman who passed away recently. Do you remember what you were you were listening to musically when you were a kid? Well, they had a contest where you could build your own model. I did enter it once. I didn't win anything, but uh, but I gave it a shot. And uh, But it was pretty, uh, it was a big deal for us kids in those days. Uh, I'm the, and what, and where's the music, where's the music fit into that? Uh, music? <laughs> I didn't, no, it was, a, it was a monster magazine. Right, right. I, but I'm, but given that you seem to be quite passionate about music, I was wondering about your... Would you say that to Tom Petty? Would I say that he's passionate about music? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Would you explain why it's not a hobby? Would I explain why it's not a hobby? Are you reacting to the fact that I said... Yeah, I am. I am. Since you're instructed not to talk about shit like that, yeah, I am reacting to that, yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't instructed to... Uh, I'm, in, I'm, instruct, I'm not really instructed. You guys are here as a band. You're performing. Uh, but I, Well, I, the producer is instructed. Right, so. but... But Somewhere along the way. Because I mentioned that you were an actor and a uh, well, screenwriter? First of all, that wasn't, wasn't supposed to be mentioned either. You know, but, uh, but that's just giving context, right? I mean, I'm happy to interview you guys as a band, but, I, but you know, for the listeners, we're giving context for who you are. Tell me what it was like to interview uh, Johnny Rotten. Um, so I should say I did not interview Johnny Rotten at the Los Angeles Times. You did it at Billboard? I did it at Billboard. So? Um, so the photo you're referencing is from Johnny Rotten when he visited the LA Times. Okay. Um, and the reason I took a photo of Johnny Rotten when he visited me at the LA Times, or visited the LA Times, was because when I interviewed him at Billboard, he uh, hung up on me. <laughs> and I viewed that. <laughs> I didn't even think that was, like, great or amazing or whatever. Like Mid-interview mid or at the very beginning of the interview? Uh, Mr. Rotten, Mr. Leiden, had said that he was going to uh, stage a concert in uh, Baghdad um, <laughs> to show the Iraqi people what freedom looks like. Wow. And um, I asked him, I don't remember how many questions. I asked him a number of questions, taking him to task, that um, he, uh, his version of what freedom looks like would not mash up to what um, Iraqi residents viewed freedom, whether or not they would even understand what he was doing, um, whether or not he would even be safe. Um, mm. And I basically said, you said this just for um, publicity. You said this just for like a headline for um, clickbait, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point he hung up on me and said, <laughs> I didn't, I did not understand the sex pistols. Um, so when Johnny Rodden, and I, I don't say this is like any great thing, like don't laugh. Like it was just sort of like basic interviewing. I laugh because one of my favorite spin magazine articles goes exactly like this. I've memorized it because I love it so much. 
Hello, Johnny, this is Spin Magazine. Click. And that's what they published. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, you know, so uh, we published that and um, published that I was hung up on him, published what we asked. Good. And then, so when he came by the Los Angeles Times, I don't remember, honestly, why he came by the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what that story was. I was not doing that story, but I thought it was funny at that point to yeah. have a photo with him because I was like, hey, Johnny, you hung up on me. Oh, then let me ask you about that. It seems like journalists don't want to take pictures. Well, they do want to take pictures with, with their heroes, but they try to play it cool. Please on my back. <laughs> What's the rule in your head? I have some opinions on that. There are two times in my career I've asked for uh, autographs. I'm happy to talk about those. Um, at the same time, um, yeah, like as a journalist, it's not your job to like take photos. It's not your job to ask for autographs. It's not your job to uh, say, hey, look at me. Look at this access I have. Um, mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, you are still a human being and you are still a, a fan yeah um and i think um i don't think there's anything wrong in like hey this is where i am today and today i interviewed johnny rotten or today nice. i interviewed so-and-so and today i am on air force one whether <laughs> regardless of who the president is mm -hmm. like i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that i think um it depends on the type of journalist you are i've always lean more toward in my career I've always leaned more toward being a critic or a columnist which gives me a little bit more leeway in expressing an opinion yeah um you know but yeah there are times where you're just going to be a fan and like you know whatever as like a dude in my 40s like I don't like go gaga over so-and-so anymore um mm -hmm. like I did when I was 18 mm -hmm. or even younger than that probably but um you know, you still, like, respect people and you still want to, like, talk to people and there's still people you want to have deep conversations with. Mm -hmm. And if you have one of those deep conversations and especially in this era of social media, like, if it helps, I write about, primarily I write about video games and theme parks these days. So if it helps me do a story about a theme park or it helps me do a story about a video game to take a photo of a behind-the-scenes sort of thing and be like, hey, in uh, two weeks, look at this story in the LA Times. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I think where you get in the trouble is where it's sort of like the, I, I compare it to the theme park, theme park people where it's like, oh my God, I'm having a churro. So it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm with uh, so-and-so. Um, then I think it gets a little cringy and a little yeah. offensive. Like, I think if you keep it professional and you keep it like, I'm doing this, this is going to be here. Right. But at the same time, I'm happy to talk about the two times I did ask for autographs. Go ahead. I, hold, let me guess. Ozzy Osbourne. And Iggy Pop. Incorrect. Uh, Mick Jones of The Clash. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, he was on a big audio dynamite uh, reunion tour, The Clash. Uh, he seems tall. You know, he is pretty tall. And, um, you know, I'm really bad at describing people. Because you're tall. You're like 6'3", right? I'm like 6'2", 6'2". But my last, uh, the woman I dated had gotten into a big argument with me over one time because she would ask me, like, Describe the way I was describing two people with similar names. And she was like, which one is who? Which one is who? And she's like, what color hair does this person have? And I'm like, I don't remember. And she just like lit into me. 
Mm. Um, so I'm really bad at describing people, and now yeah. I'm insecure about it. What was um, Mick Jones your your height? He was about my height. Okay, then he's thin, a little gaunt, very gaunt. Bad um, teeth, even with big out of big out of dynamite. He still had bad teeth. Yeah, yeah good. Um, Keeping it real. And and it was funny because like I asked him to sign it, and he wrote um, he wrote <laughs> Tom. And then I had to go back to his team. No! And be like, like, hey, like, I've waited my whole life to meet Mick. Um, Clash for my favorite band since I've been like 13, 14. (laughs) And they had him re sign it. But like, all he did is rewrite over the M. So it's like, Um, so I have it. That reminds me when, uh, when I first got to meet Paul Westerberg, he played at our college, and I was backstage, and I just ripped to shreds Don't Tell a Soul, which had just come out. But them live is a whole different story. So here I am backstage, and I go, Paul, can you sign my backstage pass? And he goes, no, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> he knew you ripped the shreds? The I, album? Doubt, I seriously doubt it. But I hope so. That'd be awesome. There was, uh, no, there was no animosity. And, and that album sucked. He knew. That album doesn't stink. The, re- the remix is way better that they did. Did you hear that one? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how, yeah. How do you leave a song with Tom Waits on the cutting room floor? <laughs> right? Um, I'm not the biggest Tom Waits fan, but... Um, <gasps> Interview's over. Uh, so the second uh, autograph was... Uh, it was actually Coachella, and it was a spur of the moment sort of thing. It was uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg was signing, and... Um, <laughs> nice. She didn't have a huge long line, and I was a big fan of that record she did with Beck, and... Um, she a uh, big fan of her music, big fan of her, and mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I can pay ten dollars and have a chance to talk to Charlotte Gainsbourg. I'm at a music festival. I'm just gonna do it, and I did it. She was charging people ten bucks for autographs. No, I had to buy the uh, I had to buy the EP. Ah, got it. Who was the greatest interview subject that you ever uh, had? Hands down, would be Joe Strummer. Over your boys, Wilco. Yeah, Wilco was great, and I've always enjoyed talking to Jeff Tweedy. And um, you know, but at the same time, you know, like yeah, like when I was, I was, I don't know, I was in junior high, and I was a big fan of the big Audio Dynamite two song called Rush. Yep, I don't know if you remember that song. It was like the horses are at the track. Like if I had my time again, that song. Yeah, Um, the horses are on the track was uh, bottom line. Oh. He's a big fan of Big Audio Dynamite 2's Rush. Okay. And my brother, um, he said, if you love Big Audio Dynamite, you should listen to the band he was formerly in. Oh, you didn't know which about the Clash. Which was The Clash. I was 12 or 13. Oh. So my brother bought me London Calling. Good good brother. Um, so my brother is, you know, eight years older than me or whatever. But like, so he brought me London Calling. Wow. And then I was like smitten. I was completely yeah. taken with it. And um, fell in love with uh, that record, fell in love with Joe Strummer. Perfect album, right? Absolutely perfect album. Greatest album ever made. Yeah. Um, greatest rock album ever made, at least. Yeah. I don't hear a radio single here. Yeah. So, um, anyway. Uh, Lost in the Supermarket's not a radio single. It's a great song. Have you ever heard the Afghan Wigs cover of that song? No. Oh, it's beautiful. They mash up like Lost in the Supermarket with Train in Vain with Stand By Me.
Is that on a record? It was on like a tribute album in the 90s. You could find it on YouTube, but it's a beautiful cover. I wish it was like available. Have on... you interviewed Deluli? Um, I did, yeah, once. Recently? No, not not until now. It was when I was at Billboard, so years Cause ago. Because you know he, he owns a he club. He bunch of bars. Which, yeah. You guys ought to be talking to each other. Um, Michael Wood did a really lovely piece for the LA Times recently mm. interviewing Greg Dooley. Um, but, um, yeah, my, my high school girlfriend, uh, who I was obsessed with throughout the entire of my collegiate career was obsessed with Greg Dooley. And I wormed my way into, uh, Afghan wigs backstage concert in high school or college, sorry, college. They were playing the LRA. I was at USC. Uh-huh. And, um, I brought a copy, a new copy of Gentleman. Yes. And I had him sign it. And I explained the whole story. <laughs> like, I'm in love with my high school girlfriend. She doesn't like me. Um, she's going to school in Columbia, Missouri. Uh-huh. And Greg wrote, uh, Nicole, meet me in St. Louis, Greg. Oh, perfect. And I had it all framed and it was amazing and still didn't get back with her. But yeah, it was amazing. But I hope you didn't give that to her. Of course I gave it to her. Oh, Todd Martins. <laughs> I'm sure she still has it, but uh, I hope she does. <laughs> but um, um, okay. anyway, no. So yeah, Joe. So I was interviewing Joe. I was at U- USC actually, and Joe Strummer did a song for a compilation called Generations. It was his first single in I don't know how many years, seven, eight years, at that time, and um, they pitched it to College Media, and I wrote I wrote back, and I was like, um, I will do it, but it's got to be Joe. I was supposed to talk to Joe on December 23rd at like 1 p.m. And I had a 5 p.m. flight to Chicago. Oh. Joe called me at like 3.30. No. And I'm like, Joe, I got to go to the airport. And I'm not going to do a fake British accent for you. But he was like, <laughs> he's like, no worries. Like, I'll call you tomorrow, mate. And I was like, I gave him my parents' number. <laughs> and uh, Christmas Eve, he called like, when he said he was supposed to and we talked for um they told me i had 25 minutes with joe and at the end of like 23 minutes i was like can i ask you a clash question or two and joe was like yeah whatever you want to know and we ended up talking for like four hours wow after that he was just that cool talking with you he was and i was like a college student who was nobody and maybe that's why he was that cool talking to me but like yeah um, but also he hadn't been doing a lot of press and, um, we just talked about the clash for like four hours. Do you still have that tape? Um, I do still have that tape. It's in my parents' house somewhere. Yeah. Well, digitize that. Um, we Dig- should digitize it too. The, uh, Julian, I forget his last name, did documentary about punk rock and Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, I did send him a copy. He didn't use it for the documentary, but, mm-hmm. um, um, I do still have the copy of the tape. Julian Temple? No, I forgetting his last name. That's yeah, fine. You go to Disneyland thirty times a year. True or false? Julian Temple was the director. You Thank you. Look at me. Look how smart I am. 
You are smart. Um, I apologize for doubting you. Um, I go to Disneyland. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. True. At least twice a month. Yeah, so yeah. 30 times a year. And you're never bored. Are you ever bored? No. Do you get bored doing other things? Absolutely. But you never get bored at Disneyland? No. You have... Okay, which, which pass do you have right now? Um, I don't have the top-of-the-line pass. Did uh, I ask which you don't have? No, but I don't remember. They recently changed all the names of the passes. So there is like a top-of-the-line pass that gets you in most days of the year. I don't uh, have that. You don't need that one. Um, um, I was dating somebody, so um, I was going to Disneyland less. So I bought a... Well, I'm glad uh, you broke up with her. She broke up with me. So I bought a <laughs> Believe Key pass. The which pass? Believe Key. Believe. Um, okay. What does the Believe pass give you? Like 200 dates, 300 dates? More than 300. More than 300 dates. Um, are there any dates that you're like, ugh, really wish I could go on that day? I really wish I could be there today. Christmas Day, you want to be there? would love to be there. Yeah, but you're going to have steak dinner with me. Um, but yeah, I would love to be at my place. I would love to be with like my quote-unquote adopted family. Yeah. Do you run into other regulars when you go there? Uh, yeah. Um, I've met uh, some of my closest friends I've met through um, Disneyland. Some of my closest friends are people who also write about Disneyland. Um, You're also friends with the Imagineers. I wouldn't say um, friends with the Imagineers because I do have to interview them. <laughs> You're friendly with Imagineers. Friendly. If, 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 if five people walked by and one of them was an Imagineer, you'd probably know who they were. Probably. And what they did. Probably. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I love Disneyland. I think uh, Disneyland is incredibly important. Psychologically, why do you go 30 times a year? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been finishing a book proposal. I don't know if I'll ever sell it. I hope Ooh. I do. Um, uh -huh. The book proposal is why do we go to theme parks? Uh -huh. And um, the book proposal is finished. And but, but, I do. But, 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 but hold on, hold on. We go to theme parks. You kind of live at this theme park. Well, so the book proposal is like a personal quest. Like, why do I do this? But also, 19 million people a year go to Disneyland. So it's like, why do 19 million people a year go to Disneyland? Because they have to. They're kids. No, I don't think that's... Or the, they date a girl that's in love with Disneyland. That's oversimplifying it. That's like, what I do. You could go, like, if you have kids, you could go to someplace much cheaper and they'll be happy. No. Um, yeah. No. Um, you, you really think that people can get away with going to Knott's or Six Flags when they've got a seven-year-old kid that can't stop singing Frozen? No, I don't think they can do that. You got to go, take that little angel to Disneyland. Um, but I think it's more complex than that. I think um, we go to theme parks to, uh, we don't go to theme parks to escape our world. Mm -hmm. We go to theme parks to uh, make sense of our world. Oh, that's the thesis. That's the thesis. Huh. I go there to... I look, I definitely go to Disneyland to escape. Um, you think you go there to escape, but... I'm um, figuring shit out when I go there? You're entering a place where, um, as one of my favorite Imagineers, Joe uh, Rohde, has said, <laughs> like, your entire life is chaos. Like, on a yeah. daily basis, whether or not... Whether it's good or bad, like it doesn't necessarily mean like your job is chaos, your personal life is chaos, your mm -hmm. relationships are chaos, and chaos in the way of like you don't know what's going to happen. 
And you have little control. You have very little control. Um, when you go to Disneyland, you go to a place where everything has been laid out for you. As Joe would say, you're going to a place where you are swimming upstream as opposed to swimming against the stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're entering a place where, and now you're also entering a place that is based upon myths. Yes. And based upon fairy tales and based upon myths that we've been telling ourselves for hundreds of years. Whether that is a, a Snow White story or a Star Wars story, a Star Wars story is really a story of haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. It's really a story about class, class systems. Um, and a Marvel story is really a story uh, that dates back to the ancients of, mm-hmm. you know, um, heroism and a story that uh, deals with. Uh, large myths and Mm -hmm. um, a story that deals with very large themes and emotions. Um, So like you go to a place like Disneyland, everything is like on a platter and you're able to sort of like have a better understanding of how you're going about the day, Mm -hmm. how you're going about your life. At least that's like my theory in a very, it's also super safe, really clean. Well, it's a model for how the world should be. Yeah. Oh, you think so? Well, don't you think you should feel uh, comfortable? And no. Don't you think you should feel comfortable talking to your neighbor? And Yeah, but, but, okay. I love The Clash because they they push me. I love The Clash too. The Clash where... Um, but does, I don't think Disneyland pushes me. Disneyland comforts me. It's a little time out. It's a little respite for my no, chaotic I think The life. Clash comfort you. I think The Clash are... Well, now they do because I know the words. Well, the Clash are based in idealism. Yes. Um, and so is Disney, and so is Walt Disney. Like, punk rock at its most, like, core is idealism. And yeah. Disney at its core is idealism. I think they're pushing the same buttons. Do you think that uh, integrating Marvel has ruined Disneyland? Nope. I do. <laughs> okay. Because uh, it, it, they just kind of acquired it. Like, to me, the original Disneyland, the old man's Disneyland, Disney made this stuff. Yes, he based it all out on... Well, they just kind of acquired Snow White. They just kind of acquired Pinocchio. They just kind of... Uh, those were... He didn't, he didn't write any of those? He ripped those off? They're like, based on, like, massive decades-old fairy tales. What I'm, right. Centuries-old fairy tales. That's true. You went to the most expensive hotel property that Disney has. The Galactic Star Cruiser. It's called the what? Galactic Star Cruiser. In Florida. Um, in Florida, Walt Disney World, outside of Disney Hollywood Studios. How much would, does that room cost per night? Um, for uh, two adults, it's about $5,000 <laughs> for uh, two nights. How long did you stay in this room? For about two nights, yeah. This, that, that's the standard. Did you have another adult with you? Yeah, I had a, a Los Angeles Times photographer, Al Shaven. Oh, that's not sexy. It was work, my friend. It was work. By the way, one of the things that I appreciated about the LA Times is, unlike a lot of other outlets, they pay the five grand. We paid the five grand. We could not accept the uh, free trip. Right. No um, no aspect of the free trip. Maybe if they give you an hors d'oeuvre or a Mickey Mouse ice cream, you could eat that, right? Well, no. I think um, media can accept media rates or... Um, oh, that's right. Media can accept. Uh, but yeah, we... There was no media rate for the Galactic Star Cruiser. Really? And we could not accept a free $5,000 trip. Uh, the New York Times did it differently. The New York Times accepted the free trip, uh-huh. but they donated the cost of the trip to charity. Huh. 
Um, but yeah. Do but, you remember your expense account from that night or from that, that two days? Yeah, because my so paper you, is so reminding me of it. <laughs> they rub it in your face? Um, no, but I, you know, I, I, I knew very much that my expenses would be some of the most highest expenses. But the they knew that going into it and they were like, we still have to write the story, right? Um, I think the story did really well. I hope it did really well. I hope they're really yeah. happy with it. But um, I don't know. I'm not going to give the exact number. But, but what, um, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that number is what the New York Times donated to charity. So, yeah, for two people, it would have been about five grand and then hotels for the night before. Oh. Because you fly in the night before and then airfare. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, car so, rental. Um, well, Ubers are car rentals, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it was it was for two people. We had a photographer, which is my partner, yeah. Al. So, I don't know. It was, it was close to eight grand. Was it worth eight grand? I would say... Um, I really want to go back, like badly. You you liked it that much. I liked it that much, and um, if I was in a position, yeah, where eight grand would not be detrimental to like my <laughs> financial health, I would one hundred percent go back in like a second. How much does this believe pass cost you for the whole year? Uh, Eleven hundred. Wow. So they're really going at the one percent. They're saying we have some very rich people. So Kardashian type, Michael Jackson type people, who money's of no object, and so we're going to give them the greatest experience they've ever had in a theme like this without being cheesy. But I should say, like, say, like, you came to me, and I, I know you would never do this, but let's just use this as an example. Yeah, you said, Todd, let's go to Galactic Star Cruiser. Me and you. <laughs> um, so fifteen hundred or five thousand for a room, twenty five hundred a person. Yeah. Plus airfare, plus a hotel, plus whatever. So we're out maybe 3500 Yeah. Like, I would find a way to do that if you came to me and said, let's do that. So thirty-five grand, yes. Or thirty-five hundred, yes. Five grand, no. 3500 yes. Um, if I'm buying it for, like, a family, it's a different sort of question. Right. You know, because then I'm buying it for, like, a partner. I'm buying it for children. Mm -hmm. buying it, whatever. But, what yeah. is so great? Do you feel like you're in Star Wars? You do. Absolutely. It's... Um, are you a fan of like live action role playing games like LARPs? Um, I think they're like really magical. Don't even know what that is. Live action role playing games. That's what it is. Where would I? Where would I see such a thing? Like, are you talking about like, uh, like a Renaissance fair would be the most uh, affordable yeah. example of one? No, I don't think black people are into that stuff. I think people of all ages. No, you don't. <laughs> How many brothers do you see at the Renaissance Fair or at uh, the Civil War reenactments? Uh, I haven't. <laughs> there's an it's okay. Own it, man. It's there, okay. There's an amazing book called um, Confederacies in the Attic, which is about uh, people who do uh, Civil War reenactments. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I think it can be like broader than that. I think like on a very small scale, it can be like an escape room. Oh. You know, like if you went to an escape room that was themed to Ghostbusters and you got into a role of a Ghostbuster character, like, you know, would you want to play that role for like an hour or two? When you get room service, does like BB-8 bring you your It's like a cruise. Rum? There is no um, room service, but there is, um, it's all inclusive. It's like a cruise. So you just go to the bar and get some food. Oh, is it? Is it the cantina bar? 
It's not the Cantina Bar. It's actually a little cooler than the Cantina Bar. Impossible. What's cooler than Cantina Bar? Well, the Cantina Bar is here at Disneyland, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. You can go to that. It is? Yeah, there's a Cantina. It does not have the Cantina Band. It has a droid. <laughs> That's one droid? Who does the music. Uh, DJ RX, <laughs> but yeah. This is why I love you. You know everybody's names. When you watch um, Andor, are you like, I like oh. three episodes in. Oh, why are you milking it? Uh, You're a busy man? Went through a rough couple months. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> what better to comfort you? Okay, let's... Let, I had about, a hard time concentrating. What about Obi-Wan? I when, enjoyed Obi-Wan. When you watch Obi-Wan and you see a robot in the back, you're like, oh yeah, that's from that comic. Are I you that guy? No, I don't know it that deeply. Like, okay. All right, fine. What is um, what's something about this five thousand dollar experience that most people aren't seeing in the advertising? Well, I don't think what people are seeing is like how personal it is, you know, because it's like you can go to Disneyland and you know, or Walt Disney World or Universal Studios, um, and you can have a great day and a great time. But like when you go to the Galactic Star Cruiser, you're with a relatively intimate group of people. They will know your name. They will refer to you as Tony um, throughout the three days that you are there. Yeah. Um, you will pick like a team. You, you will pick, you, do you want to be a rebellion or do you want to be first order or do you want to be oh. neither? Um, oh, so it is like the Renaissance Fair. You're playing. You're playing. No, it's live action. For two game. days. For two days. And it's like, and you could go back and forth. You can be first order. You could be a scoundrel. You could be a, Can I be a stormtrooper? You can't be a stormtrooper. What? But you could be first order. What's that? Uh, that's uh, the uh, Empire. So I wear the, the 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 suit with the weird little hat. You don't necessarily need a costume. It would just sort of be like, uh, dude. If I'm paying five grand, I'm bringing my costumes. You could absolutely bring a costume. But uh, what I'm saying is, like, you can go there and you'd be like, hey, hey, Tony, do you do you, do you want to help me? Do By the wanna... way, I'm not Tony on the Star Cruiser. Okay, who are you on the Star Cruiser? Who's uh? Who's Billy D. Williams in Empire Strikes Back? Lando. Yeah, I'm Tone. I'm Tone Do. Lando. Lando. I'm Tone Do. Lando already exists. I'm his nephew. Um, so it would be like, hey, um, Tone Do. <laughs> Tone Do. Do you, do you want to come? Do you want to come help me on this thing? I mean, I think like <laughs> it's the beautiful thing about immersive theater, you know, which is like it can be awkward at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do Sleep No More in New York City, which is um, what inspired a lot of the Star Cruiser. The second an actor comes up to you and recognizes you face-to-face and talks to you one-to-one and talks to you as, like, a human being, like, you are in this world, like, hey, uh, Tondo, like, come <laughs> help me with this, like, mission. Um, you're down. You're down for it. Wow. So then, so then they wave you over and they take you to, like, a different room and that's got, like... Uh, like the trash compactor or there's something I had numerous one-on-one interactions with cast members which were really lovely um i had a whole force experience with a cast member <gasps> where like you two, had to use the force two people taught me how to use the force and Dude. it worked yeah this is both nerdy a little bit pathetic but also super cool all at the same time wouldn't you agree no it's super cool and it, it yeah I don't, know, I don't know if I would call it super pathetic. I would say, like, there is um, really... 
Because I gotta pretend I'm using the force. No, but you're playing, and I think like when you're playing, like yeah, you are um, really like your most true self when you are like completely free to play. And you know, I don't think I've played like that since I was a boy in Illinois in the winter in a Christmas tree farm where we were playing like war, where Probably we not. where we would build like snow forts. And, like, do a whole thing. Probably not. I think that play is really important. Like, it's deep philosophical play where it's, like, you asking yourself what is possible, what is not possible, or you just being, like, super curious. Like, what can I do? What happens if I do this? What happens if I say this to this stranger? And they are, like, in cast, and they, like, they'll respond to you, like, in cast. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's Disney, so, like, you know, but you can't be, like, ridiculous. You'll get kicked out. But, like, yeah. So these are these are the, the, the so they train these people very well is what you're saying and it sounds like you would make a good cast member on this ship. I would love to do that. I mean, um, yeah, I think uh, my uh, last partner and I like we talked about going and she was like, as much as I want to go, I just kind of want to be a cast member. And I was like, I totally agree with her. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Ooh, can you walk around with a beer at Disneyland? In Disney California Adventure, you can. But not Disneyland proper. Not Disneyland proper. In Disneyland proper, the only places you could have alcohol are Club 33, the private club, or uh, Olga's Cantina, which is the Star Wars bar. That's in... Oh, that's... Is, is that uh, next to where the kids are playing with Darth, Va- Darth Vader? It's in Galaxy's Edge. At Galaxy Edge, that's also where the Millennium Falcon is. That's where the Millennium Falcon is. And where I can build my $100 lightsaber? Uh, I think it's 250 but yeah. What? They upped the price to two hundred fifty dollars. I think it started at like two hundred, but yeah, they've upped the price. Yeah. Did you buy one of these? I did buy one. Yeah. Do you play with your lightsaber, Todd? It's very rarely I turn on the lightsaber. <laughs> but at the moment, you had to buy it, which um, is the genius was, it, of the place. It was a really great experience, and it's actually one of the coolest experiences you can do in Galaxy's Edge. I wish it didn't cost you two hundred something dollars to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, because like, it's like a 45, 60 minute experience. Oh. And you like, it's this whole Jedi, like religious inspired experience. Oh. Like it's actually really well done. And therefore kids of all incomes should be able to have this experience. Kids of all incomes should be able to have this experience. Yeah. Okay. Well. Cause it's probably the best thing you can do in Galaxy's Edge. Wow. Huh. But it's behind a really expensive pay gate, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, tell me more about this uh, Club 33. It seems like it's easier to get into Club 33 these days than it, than it was in the past. Is that true? Why do you say that? I see a lot of people taking pictures in there, and I didn't before. Well, I think you're seeing a lot of influencers take pictures in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't have an easier time getting in there. What what does one have to do to get in? You have to know a member. Oh Jesus! So it's like the comedy. St- it's like the magic uh, castle. It's essentially like the magic castle. Yeah. But you know all the people, so it's easy for you. I wouldn't say it's easy for me. No. Um, and they know you. They don't know me. There's two people at the LA Times that writes about Disneyland. Sure. And only one of them. Went to uh, Epcot. Oh, also, there's only one of them that goes 30 times a year. I haven't been to Club 33 in probably 
I can't win once this year. You go once a year. Is that where we should have gone today? We could not have gotten in there. I you don't think so? I would not have known people to get us in there to record a podcast. No, no, no. We, uh, I'm just saying. Okay, first of all, is the food worth it at Club 33? <laughs> is the food worth it at Club 33? Because um, I hear it's expensive. It is expensive. Um, I think the food, the best food at Disneyland is at Napa Rose. Who? Napa Rose, which is in Grand California, the hotel. Oh. Um, I think I've never had anything at Club 33 that's as good as some of the meals I've had at Napa Rose. Like what? Um, I, on the flip side, the food at Club 33 is quite good. Um, okay, but at, at Napa Rose, what, what did you eat that tickled your fancy? It sounds like you had some good ribs or something. Um, no, I just think Napa Rose does a better job of changing up the menu more often. Um, huh. So that chef should be working at Club 33 is what you're saying. Typically the same chef. Yeah. Uh, uh, Daffy, right? Um, no. Um, most recently, I, I don't know the current chefs, but um, um, I know they recently switched some things around. But um, typically it is the same chef. Um, they recently switched some things around. Um, you know, but Club 33 has... Um, it's like a club, you know. It's got members who've been going there for decades. They want things to be a certain way. Whereas you go to a restaurant, like you can experiment a little bit more in a restaurant. Mm. So, like at okay. the end of the day, I think Napa Rose is going to give you better food than Club Thirty Three. What should I, I think order? Club Thirty Three is going to give you a better experience if you're a Disney fan. What should I order at Napa Rose? Um, I don't have the menu in front of what me. What do you like? Um, you clearly like something over there. I'd have to pull out the menu. Todd Martins. They have an amazing scallop appetizer. Thank you. Um, they've got, they do really well with their steaks, their prime ribs, their roasts. Okay. Like, How much is a prime rib going to set me back at the Napa Rose? If you're going to go to Napa Rose and have an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, and let's just say two beers. Okay. You're probably looking at like 170. Woo-hoo! Uh, same, same general price at uh, Club 33? There are different restaurants in Club 33. There's a, a sit-down restaurant that is price fix. Oh. And then there is a bar that has um, where you can order some bar food and some smaller items. Um, typically, when I go to Club 33, when I'm lucky enough to be invited. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. Um, I would go to the uh, bar and you know have a burger or fries. But um, how much is a burger over there? Twenty five bucks. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Because you're so drunk. You're like, <laughs> who cares? Look at me. I'm at Club Thirty Three. Take my wallet. I, I will say when you're when you're in the club, there's a little bit of that sort of sense of like, you know what? I'm just gonna have some. I'm just gonna have fun today. Do they got TVs in there if you want to watch the game? <laughs> no, they don't have TVs, but they have. Um, <laughs> Amazing portraits of the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> of the Haunted Mansion? Inspired by the Haunted Mansion. The people the people who, who are... The characters of the Haunted Mansion. Inspired by the Haunted Mansion, yeah. Those are cool pictures. Is there a place to get collard greens at Disneyland? Uh, there's a couple restaurants in New Orleans Square. I don't think they have collard greens. So. Yeah, okay. Hire me as a consultant. Uh, but really, you should be the consultant. And if uh, what would be your first... Uh, bit of advice for Disneyland if you were in that role prices have gone up significantly 
and they've gone up. It's almost like when you walk into the gates of Disneyland, it's like walking into a game of Fortnite. Like you are immediately prodded via the app to buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that. Mm. Um, so you're to to get a basic level experience at Disneyland, you cannot just buy a ticket. Hmm. And I think that is offensive. What 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 other things must I buy? You have to buy a Genie Plus, which is going to get you, which is the new Fast Pass. Um, I have to get that, otherwise I'm going to be in line for hours for correct. like for like. It's a small world. Let's say I've got a, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And do I need a fast pass for these little kids? Correct. Otherwise, we'll be in line for and hours. It's about thirty dollars per person um, per ride, too, right? No. So for the Genie Plus is per person. Okay. And then um, per ride is Lightning Lane. Ah. Um, and that would get you like if you if you say you say you have a ten-year-old who loves Star Wars. Yeah. And you want this 10-year-old to experience a small world. Yeah. And you want this 10-year-old to experience Rise of the Resistance, which is this amazing Star Wars ride. Yes. Rise of the Resistance is going to cost you $20. To, to cut the line. To cut the line. When, when we say cut the line, how quickly do I actually get my if little... all is working correctly, within 20 minutes. Okay. Reasonable. Um, so you're going to pay... 20 bucks for Rise of Resistance. Yep. You're going to pay 30 bucks for the Genie Plus. Okay. To get on everything else. So for the two of you, say you just went the two of you. Mhm. You're looking at an extra $100. Right. Um I prior to the pandemic these were not added costs. Prior to the pandemic these were either free or they were embedded into the cost of the ticket. Once you like go through the gate you should not have to be prodded to spend more. Like it diminishes the experience. Right. It like creates a lesser experience. Like the whole point of like going from like your car to the tram and going on this like journey to the park is to like ease your mind. The whole point of that journey is to be like, all right, I just spent whatever to get me and my like partner and our kid into this park like now, like we we're into the park. Forget it. We're into the park. We're just going to enjoy our day. Yeah. And then you look at your phone. You got to buy like three more things. Mm. You know, and that is messed up. You should be able to just stick your phone in your pocket if you want to, other than taking pictures with the princesses. Exactly. Great. Let's talk about downtown LA. Okay. You live in the historic core. Correct. Why would a man from the Midwest, now that his newspaper has moved out of LA to El Segundo, why would he remain in downtown when it's not really the Chicago downtown that we love? It's not a Chicago downtown. It's not a New York downtown. It's probably not even a Seattle downtown. Right. Or a San Francisco downtown. Um, It's like a dirty Disneyland downtown. In that it's small. You have to keep paying for shit. (laughs) 
some ride should be canceled. <laughs> no, but it seems like you like the downtown. You like this. Do you like it? Overall, I like it. Because um, you can walk to bars and restaurants. Downtown didn't fare very well during the uh, pandemic. It did During the worst of the pandemic. Um, my street, for instance, um, pretty much everything closed on my street. And none of it is reopened. Really? You know, um, I live a block from, like, restaurants and a block from, like, bars. But um, my actual street remains boarded up and deserted. Wow. Um, you know, but I think uh, at the end of the day, like, I still love the city atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I still love being able to uh, – I don't like to drive. I hate driving. Yeah. Um, oh, I, okay. So downtown's perfect for you then, for that. So, like, I have access to every transit line – that I, I need to get to in the city wherever I need to go. Um, I could be in Santa Monica in 50 minutes. I can be in Burbank in an hour. Yeah. Um, if I need to. Um, but it's also really easy to get a Lyft or an Uber if I don't want to take transit because mm-hmm. you're downtown. Um, on the flip side of that, um, yes, I can walk to my vet. I can walk to Ralph's. I can walk to Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. I can walk to a farmer's market. I can walk to fancy restaurants. I can walk to divey restaurants. Are you tempted to get your own uh, bird scooter? No, I would never. No, I don't know. Because you like walking. I prefer walking and... Skateboarding. I prefer walking and like people on scooters. Yeah, no, I prefer walking. When people tell me that they want to live downtown. Yeah. I tell them don't. Okay. I tell them LA is huge. There's a beach. There's mountains. Why would you want to live in a city? Especially if you're a woman. It seems dangerous to me. And they all tell me to screw off. And the people who live downtown, who love downtown, are probably never going to leave. Unless they get a family and then they'll maybe leave. Probably leave. Am I wrong to think these thoughts? Uh, well, the last woman I dated told me that only broken people live downtown. <laughs> I don't even know what she meant by that. I would ask her to explain and she couldn't answer it. Um... No, I think downtown is beautiful. I think uh, it's the heart of Los Angeles. Um, you know, there is so much history in downtown that it remains untouched in terms of, like, architecture, in terms of Union Station, in terms of Olvera Street. Um, Olvera Street? I love Olvera Street. What? Some of the greatest, like, yeah, it's it's great. Good food. Whatever, yeah, go there. There is good food there? Yes, there's great food at Overhead Street. Huh. Next time you have jury duty, I promise you, you will uh, be pleased if you go to Overhead Street for lunch. Okay. Um, All I see there is taquitos and stuff. Oh, that's an amazing taquito place. I'm forgetting the name of it. (laughs) So you're glad you're in downtown is what it sounds like. When I used to live in Hollywood, like I was glad I was in Hollywood because it was like, I felt Hollywood was... You know, all of, like, L.A. It was, you know, it was the rich, it was the poor, it was the dreamers, it was um, all the above. I think uh, downtown is all of that, but um, when you're not in your 20s and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of rich, there's a lot of poor, there's a lot of people in between like me. Um, Do you take advantage of Grand Park and Pershing Square? When there's events at those places? Um, yeah, I saw 
before the pandemic, I did see acts at the Pershing, Pershing Square. Mm-hmm. Do you take shrooms and go to the art museums? Um, I've never had shrooms. Well, today's your lucky day, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, like, you're right there. Do you, do you take advantage of these things at all? Um, I go to the road uh, quite a bit, and yeah. I am a Center Theater Group man- member. Look at that. Um, so I have a membership for a Center Theater Group. Um, I go to the road quite a bit. Um, so you're, you're, you're really a downtown person. I asked to volunteer at the L.A. Public Library. They didn't need volunteers. <laughs> But I would have totally done that on the weekends, yeah. Let's wrap it up with uh, your current job. Mm-hmm. Because you're such a talented writer, sir. You've been able to move from music to beer to uh, video games now. Video, you're, you, you are the Peter Pan. You're, you're living, you're living the, the childhood dream of teenage boys in that you've gotten to interview rock stars. You've gotten to go to Disneyland as much as you want. There's thousands and thousands of dollars of uh, uh, hotel nonsense. Glock <laughs> uh, Star Cruiser is not nonsense. <laughs> and now you get to play video games for money and tell everybody about it. Sure. Do you feel like you have a charmed life? Um, I, you know, I think it's good you said that because sometimes I feel really depressed and sometimes I feel like I don't, sometimes I feel really disconnected. Like if, uh, you know, we go to an event, like you're like, Todd, come this thing I'm going to, like, chances are like, I went to a restaurant the other night and they referenced, um, the bear, that Hulu show. Chef. I didn't know what that show was because I've been playing God of War. <laughs> I've been playing the remake of Last of Us, you know, and I've You're been playing, playing a lot of video games. So yeah. I was like, that's okay. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know what that is. Like, um, you know, and it's like, oh, well, you're from Chicago. You would love it. And it's about Italian beef. You would especially love it. Um, In fact, you're on my Hulu. Two of my favorite things. Not anymore. I, I reinstated it. It's okay. I have a different Hulu now. But, um, but my point is, like, I didn't know what it was. My point is, like, but, I sometimes but, feel like my references are not the same as the references as other people. Dude, there's way too many TV shows for everybody to... You're not watching The Crown either. Well, no, of course not, but... Um, it's I, okay is all I'm saying. You are working... But you're not playing God of War. No, I'm not. But I don't feel guilty about it, and you feel guilty that you, you're not in tune with the Hulu. Well, because if I go on a date, and she's somebody's going to be like, have you seen uh, uh, The Bear or Wednesday? And I'll be like, no, have you played The Last of Us? Right. And that's, that's where Netflix and Chill came in. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to have to Netflix then, baby. What have you not seen? There's so many things out there. There's too yeah, many. I'm also things. a 44-year-old dude who spends 10 hours a day playing video games. Again, don't you feel like you're charmed? Fine. If you can't connect with some some 40-year-old girl, woman, off of that, whatever, but but that's okay. Men and women aren't always like super aligned. She doesn't know who played third base for the 2016 Cubs either. But we allow that. 
we're okay with that. Is that Zobrist? <laughs> Who caught the, the last the last out of the 2016 World Series? Oh, it was Brian. There you go. Oh, because Brian was not in center field at that moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Zobrist. What's that Zobrist? Now that's what you should feel guilty about. I'm going to edit that part out. No, you can keep it. All know. right, fine. Anyways. It sounds like you have mixed feelings about this charmed life of yours. Brian is dead to me since he went to Colorado. So there you it's go. not his fault. He he was the rookie of the year and then the MVP and then he got the last out of the World Series and he's dead to you. He's not dead to me, but it's like I don't know. It's, it's very it's very it's a very conflicting emotion. We we are extremely loyal people. We would have taken whatever the Cubs offered. Yes, because we are true Cub fans. He's he grew up in Vegas. He did not have Harry Carey on WGN when he came home from school. Grew up in Vegas, played in San Diego. Right. Like he's lived. Bryce Harper's his BFF. Yeah. Bryce Harper yeah. would never be my BFF. Would he be yours? Probably not. No way. He'd be my friend of me. I would love to be him to be my friend of me. I don't know. I feel like Bryce and I could hang out at like yeah, Always Sunny sure. in Philadelphia bar. Never get to Oh, Bryce, you think so? Yeah. Chris, no. Chris doesn't drink. But anyway, Schwarber would be more of your your beer drinking buddy. Okay. Okay. So, Todd, you get paid to review video games for a major newspaper. Correct. Does the New York Times have a, a video game critic? Uh, not at the moment. They used to have a guy, um, Chris, I'm going to butcher his last name, Solentrope, but. Um, Does the Washington writer. Post have a guy? Yes, Gene Park. Chicago Tribune? No. So it's like you and Gene are the two people in newspapers. Yeah, I would say Gene probably writes more often than me when it comes to video games because Gene doesn't also do theme parks. Right. Um, you know, but but, um, my, but my point is is video games is a bigger market than even movies. Yeah, absolutely. and yet it seems like journalism doesn't want to give it credit. Um, journalism made a lot of mistakes when it came to video games, and but it sounds like they still are. Absolutely. Does USA Today have a video game guy? Um, they use like a video game feed, um, like a news service. It's bad. It's not good. I shouldn't even say that, but it's not, it's not good. Well, I mean, it's okay for you to say that because they should come after you and have a bidding war with the LA Times to steal you away. Because, it, true or false, video game industry generates more revenue than the movies. It does, but I feel like that's kind of a generic sort of thing to say. I think... Um, Doesn't money make the world go round? Yeah, but nobody knows. I mean, I think... Uh, Meanwhile, there's tons of... There's endless amounts of movie critics. That's my point. Is that, is that journalism... Yeah, but... Does so not take seriously what you do for a living. Mainstream journalism does not, but... Um, it's advertiser-driven, and video game companies aren't going to advertise in the Los Angeles Times, whereas, like, movie studio still is. W would you consider your stance... I mean, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Like, right. a movie is two hours. Yeah. A video game is 60 to 70 hours. Okay. So, like, if, if the LA Times asked me to review a video game... Yeah. That means I am out of rotation for three weeks. Yeah. Because I have to spend... Two weeks playing that game and a week writing that review. Mm. Um, whereas if the LA Times asked Justin Chang to write a movie review, yeah. he can do two or three of those a week because movies are two hours. Whereas right. my video game is 70 hours. And what if I stink at it? 
then it's suddenly 100 hours. Well, it also... Justin should also be spending some of his week maybe watching other movies that are similar to this movie, right? Like, he's just not watching the movie and writing. Well, no. So, it's like if I play Call of Duty, whatever, I need to go play the last one. I need to, like, whatever. Mm. Like, you're looking at a 70, 80-hour investment, and is that worth it? So, for the LA Times. And I don't know if it is, to be honest. It is. I don't want to, like, diminish my job, but, like, No, but this is is why it is. I would say that the, the, the subscribers of the LA Times, first of all, smartest people in LA. True? I hope. They're the smartest people in LA. And if video games is, is bringing in more money than movies, and a lot of these video game companies are here in LA, and if a lot of the people who are reading this are adults who are then buying games for young people, or maybe even themselves, I don't think the, I don't think the guy who or the woman or the business that subscribes to the LA Times is reading IGN. They need no, it in their, they they not it in their, their LA Times sandwich. But like, is the person subscribing to the LA Times buying video games? It seems like everybody's buying them. Everybody is, but yeah. And and, and I'll put it this, and, and this is this is why I like your reviews. You're not just writing about Call of Duty. You're writing about some deep games that rarely get the attention that they deserve. Well, my whole attitude is like if you're reading about games in the Los Angeles Times you care about like playing a game that doesn't require you to spend six hours to learn it. Right. Like, like you, like if you, Tony Pierce come to the LA times to read about a game, you're like, I have a free night. What should I play? I've got two hours. I'm willing to spend X amount of time to learn it. And then an hour and a half to play it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I feel like that's what we should be doing. Yes. Um, you know, because I feel like that's the big market. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel, I don't know, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's uh, the mainstream media ignored games for so long that there is a very robust media for games. Mm-hmm. And a very, like, Polygon is a great site. I, I like Polygon. I like IGN. I like Kotaku. They do good work. Um so it's like if you're a game player, you're either going to go to those or you're going to go to like your YouTube or Twitch personality. Mm. You know, so like if you're not a game player, you're going to go to the LA Times. This year is coming to an end. 2022 is coming to an end. Those of you listening, you're listening in 2023. So I don't think I'm scooping the LA Times when I ask you this question because it's going to be a while until this comes out. Can you give us your top three favorite games of 2022? Of 2022? Uh, yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, Which I assume you're going to have in a best end, best of uh, list. I've already done a piece. It's more. It was more of an essay than a list, but um, uh, Immortality was my favorite game of the year. It's called Mortality. Immortality. 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 Uh, on the Xbox and the PS uh, something or another? It is available on the Xbox. It okay. is also available on mobile phones via uh, if you have a Netflix subscription. I do. Um, yeah. I can play this on my Netflix? You can play it on your Netflix. Through my your iPhone? Phone. On your iPhone. Is it free if I have Netflix? If you have Netflix, it is uh, included in your Netflix subscription. <gasps> Immortality. Immortality. It was gained by a guy by the name of Sam Barlow. Um, Sam does live action games. Um 
which basically means they're filmed mm-hmm. with like actors. If you remember some like the bad eighties game, eighties nineties games like Night Shift. Yeah, um, but didn't, this is didn't Clue have a? They did. Yeah, yeah. But this is really well done, um, and basically it's uh, you are a film archivist, and you've been handed a bunch of like material, and it's like what happened to this like famous actor, this um, brilliant gorgeous um actor and you have to like piece together by watching clips of her films and watching clips of behind the scenes of those films yeah and then watching clips of like her promoting those films and this this is interesting what happened to her it's all done out of order Uh uh-huh so it's like you're watching like say you're watching a scene of her talking to a male lead and then they kiss Mm mm-hmm and in this scene, you can do anything. You could, like, click on her face, and then it'll take you to other scenes in which she makes a similar face. Or you can click on them kissing, and then it'll take you to other scenes in which she kisses other people. Or you can click on something in the background, like a statue, and it'll take you to other scenes in which that statue is there. Huh. So it's like, and then by clicking on these images, you have to go to other areas of the film um, i mean it must be a good game if netflix is behind it right i mean i would hope so yeah yeah what's your number two game uh number two is return to monkey island <laughs> you're laughing <laughs> is this a nintendo game um it is available on the nintendo switch but it, it was um ron gilbert who is my favorite game designer of all time um <laughs> i just think monkey's a funny word um Ron Gilbert is my favorite game designer of all time. What did he do before all this? Uh, he created The Secret of Monkey Island. <laughs> what did he do before these Monkey Islands? He worked at LucasArts, where he created the Monkey Island games. He worked on Day of the Tentacle. Um, he's, in, uh, he's a trailblazer when it comes to narrative art in video games. What's your number three game? Um, I would go number three. I would go... Uh, Wait... Give us a PlayStation game, because you've given us an Xbox and a uh, Nintendo. So what's your favorite on PlayStation? My favorite on PlayStation? Um, hang on. He's looking at his notes, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking at my notes. All these girls have been texting him this whole interview. <laughs> there are no girls texting me. Uh, my number three game would be Wayward Strand. Wayward Strand. Is it about a DNA? It is about... Gone wrong? <laughs> You're going to make fun of me and you're going to roll your eyes or something. I would never it do about, that. It's um, about you play a young woman who is cast into a retirement home <laughs> what? in a uh, floating vessel, floating ship. Okay. Um, basically, you just got to talk to old people. Huh. Um, you go from room to room and talk to old okay. people. Again, Todd Martins, this is why you're special. You somehow find these games that are different than running around killing people. I don't like to shoot people. You, but you still have to play those games. You're playing the Call of Duties. You're playing uh, the Ascents and all those others. I'm playing the Call of Duties and the Ascents. I'm playing the Call of Duties and, um, yeah, I'm playing all those games. Well, I asked you about Ascent the other day and you said you played it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you play the games, but the ones that resonate with you are the ones that have soul. Yeah, no, because like the reason we play games are the same reason we watch movies or watch TV or go to the theater. We want stories. 
Like, I'm not playing games for competition. I'm not playing games to better somebody. I'm not playing games to, like, feel better about myself because, like, I got more points than some dude in uh, New York or Synecdoche. Like, I'm playing games to, like, have, like, story. Like, that's why we play. That's why we play. Todd Martins, thank you for spending time with me in my courtyard. Thank you for having me. We will see you at the last bookstore. I'll be there. How great was Todd? You know who we do shrooms with in one of the many downtown LA museums? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, take your wives and kids to Disney and have a drink on us at Club 33. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, and Ben from Down Under. To be a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. That's H-E-A-R-I-N-L-A. We're always looking for cool guests. If you know someone who lives in a neighborhood in L.A., not a city, and has a story to tell and an expertise like Todd does, they want to talk about, have them write us at busblog at gmail.com. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in L.A. website or Medium blog forever. Just email your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but your Tesla stock just keeps on a sinking. You can still help. Post your favorite episodes on your Facebook. You can even post two. It's free. Tweet something nice about us. In fact, anytime you see us tweet about any episode, just retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Amazon. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who you saw on the Dave Grohl Hanukkah specials, Mr. Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon, Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and excellent souls like Todd who remind us that we're never too old to play. To play.